Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Happy Easter, you guys. How many of you are really glad you came to church this morning rather than being in jail? That's awesome. Great. Okay, so the resurrection is the most foundational uh, of all Christian beliefs. It's impossible to be a Christian without first believing that Jesus overcame death. In fact, the Apostle Paul once wrote, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So all Christians, genuine Christians, believe in the resurrection. That's true. Christ is risen. But do they all believe in the truth of the resurrection? Is it possible to believe the fact of the resurrection, but not believe the truth of the resurrection? I know some of you are like, what? In the fire department, I worked with a guy who, when he was confused by something that a really smart person said, he would quip, I don't believe I understand all I know about that. (laughs) Hopefully, you will understand what I'm talking about by the time I finish this morning. If you've been with us, you know that we started this journey through Luke's gospel at Christmas, and we said that we were going to finish at Easter. And so here we are, and I've talked to many of you who are kind of, we're kind of sad to see Luke go. Just so you know, next week we have one last teaching from it, and we're just going to call it epilogue. It's the backside of the story. But in some Easter's past, Uh, I've taken time to talk about what would be like proofs for the resurrection, but this morning uh, we're going to acknowledge that the resurrection is true, but we're going to ask this question, what is the truth of the resurrection? In order to understand that fully, we have to look first at two events that precede that which we're here to celebrate today. And we know that On a Sunday morning like this, 2,000 years ago, the tomb was found to be empty. But how did Jesus come to be in that tomb in the first place? That's the first event I want us to look at. Because after Jesus' body has expired on the cross, it's a desolate place on that hill. Crowds are gone, as are the executioners and and the Roman soldiers who are keeping the peace. All that's left is evidence that um, an execution has taken place is um, there are some dead bodies on crosses and a few stragglers left mourning there. Now, Jesus's death has been sudden. So there's no funeral arrangements that have been made. There's no plans that have been made in uh, preparation for his burial, but there's a man named Joseph who goes to Pilate, and he asks for Jesus' body. This is not Joseph 
Jesus's human father. It's Joseph of Arimathea, which is a little north of Jerusalem, which is where they are. And all four of the Gospels mention this Joseph, and they all mention him in this context. Between all of the Gospels, if we put that all together, here's what we know about Joseph of Arimathea. Number one, he was wealthy. Number two, he is part of what was called the Sanhedrin Council, a group of religious leaders who led Judaism and condemned Jesus. They are leaders in their religion, and so they're respected and influential men. And we know that Joseph was a prominent member of this council. So he is, the, he is influential among the influential. He's a real power broker. And Luke describes him like this in chapter 23, 50. He's a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. So Joseph of Arimathea opposed this decision to trap Jesus. And you can well imagine the pressure that is on him to be the only one or perhaps, or perhaps you know, one of a few who oppose what they were wanting to do to Jesus. But this is more than just a matter of conscience for Joseph because Matthew tells us that he had become a disciple of Jesus, although it was secretly done so because he feared his colleagues. John's gospel tells us that. But after this event, Jesus' execution, he seems to have turned a corner about all that. And he goes boldly, Mark says, before Pilate to request Jesus' body. Because Joseph believes that of, of all things, Jesus deserves a decent burial in the uh, context of the first century. And as a devout Jew, he wants to keep some of the traditions that come from the law, like in Deuteronomy 21. So even though Jesus was executed as a criminal, he deserves this kindness. And Luke says that he took Jesus' body down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. Now, in the first century, uh, where you were laid to rest depended on who you were and your economic status. So Joseph would have purchased something quite significant for his family. It would probably have had more than one tomb because this is something for his family. And tombs then were hewn out of rock. So it would look something like this. I'm going to put it up on the screen. And these tombs, uh, in th this tomb that Joseph purchased, was unused, Luke says. So maybe, maybe he's either in a, in a kind of like a line of wealth and they need another area to bury uh, their family members as they pass, or perhaps he's even first-generational wealth. But he does all this under a time crunch because Luke says it's preparation day, and preparation day is the day before Sabbath, the day that traditionally... Uh, Jews rested. And so you can imagine that if you had a full 24 hours where you weren't allowed to do things, you had to do things in advance so that you could actually do that on the day. And so this is, you know, an added inconvenience to that preparation. Hold what Joseph does here in the back of your mind. Just put a little place marker 
in your thoughts. Then Luke gives us another prequel, another event um, that happens prior to uh, the resurrection. So first we looked at how Jesus ended up in the tomb. And this other event is how did the tomb come to be discovered to be empty? Simultaneously, while Joseph is uh, doing this act of kindness, Luke says that the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So these women that Luke talks about, they've never left Jesus' side. Um, the crowds are gone now. The show is over. And some of them have been with him from the beginning of his ministry, from the beginning of when we started talking about what Jesus was doing up in the region of Galilee. And Luke says that among them was Mary Magdalene, and then Mary, the mother of James, and then others, which means that there were probably quite a few women that were present and doing this. And they are gathering traditional spices and perfumes that would be kind of the first century version of embalming. So we struggle with death as human beings. And so, because we don't want to face death as it is, you know, often in our memorial or funeral arrangements, we try to make the body look normal and alive. And in the first century, taking spices and perfumes would help to mask decomposition. And like Joseph, going boldly before Pilate to request Jesus' body in order to bury him, this is a risky move for the women to both follow him to the tomb and to be seen in doing so. And for all of them, it would have been easy just to pack it in, to kind of just give up. I mean, this is how the world is, and so we should just move on. But like Joseph, this after-death kindness is again a clue of what Luke is telling us. So keep this beautiful expression to appropriately care for Jesus' body after his death as a place marker in your mind as well. But then, because they were unable to do so, because the Sabbath was happening at the same time as these events, they couldn't complete this act. And so these women... The first thing on Sunday morning, they go to complete the embalming or perfuming of Jesus' body. In Luke 24, 2, when they arrived, they find the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And this is the first clue that they have that something's happened because the stone is rolled away as they arrive. But what had happened? Luke tells us in verse 4 that while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, and in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. Luke says that they were wondering, and this word means to be perplexed, to be at a loss mentally. They're confused as to what's happening, 
And in the presence of, the, in, in their confusion, these two men who Luke says their clothes gleam, not because they use tide, but in, Luke is describing them as angels rather than labeling them or calling them angels. And so frightened by these men, they do what is the appropriate cultural response and bow, but then these angelic beings kind of let them off the hook. The men said to them, why do you look among the living, look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. So these women are the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. They go on to say, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So while they're talking to the women, they have this aha moment. The neurons in their brains are firing and they're remembering the teachings and the miracles and the talks. They all coalesce in their brain and I'm like, aha, this is what he said was going to happen. Now today... If you were there, you would take a video of this or a picture, and then you would post it on your Instagram feed. And you'd probably caption it like, empty tomb? Question mark. But what do you do if you're living in the first century? Well, you have to tell someone about this, right? So in the first century, there's only one way to do that. You actually have to go and talk to other human beings and tell them what happened. And so when they came back from the tomb, Luke says, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. See, despite the fact that standing before them uh, are numerous witnesses, the men are still skeptical when they hear about the resurrection not just because it's totally unbelievable, but also in the first century, women were not considered reliable witnesses. And so Luke says they, dis they dismissed their account as nonsense. Or another, phrase, another way to translate this is just idle talk. So the first skeptics of the resurrection are Jesus' own disciples. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel a lot better about those times when I doubt God. But Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, Luke says. And bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And Peter's response here is uh, described by Luke with this word, wonder. But it's a different wonder than is used of the women's wondering. Theirs was confusion. Peter's is one of marvel and of awe. It's like almost belief. And we know that Peter and other apostles are going to need more convincing than just what has happened here. And in many ways, aren't we like Peter? I mean, Peter didn't see the grave clothes and go, oh, I believe. Now I'm going to give my life fully to preaching the gospel around the world. That's not what he did. Because we believe in steps, don't we? Even after we believe, 
our belief still takes steps forward. Sometimes we tell our story of faith like there was this thing and it happened and then all of a sudden I believed. But I think that that gives an incomplete picture of believing in Jesus. The truth is there's a series of moments in our believing, like a sequence of understanding. Maybe you feel like Peter right now. Maybe uh, you came to church on Easter and you're like, you have some wonder maybe, maybe wonder like confusion about God. Or maybe your wonder is more like Peter's in a way where you're like, you marvel in awe at Christianity, but you don't, like you can't get your hands totally around it. That's okay. Because that's how people take steps in their faith. And I want you to know that this is the kind of church where you can, you can take those steps, where you can ask your questions. You can stop along the way to doubt or to marvel before you take the next step in your belief. And for those of us that have believed in that kind of formal sense, this is also a church where you will continue to believe. And as we, as we grow together, we're learning more and more about who Jesus was and is in our lives today. You see, but now, for most of us here on Easter morning, we believe in the fact of the resurrection as we've just read it. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe in the truth of the resurrection? We have just looked at two examples where the truth of the resurrection is in action. There are two stories that I had you put on the back burner of your mind that involved Joseph and some women. So what do those events that happened before the resurrection, whoa, before the resurrection, have to do with the truth of the resurrection? And I'm going to put a picture up here to explain. What do you see when you look at that picture? I took this picture in a place that I had mountain biked for years. And there was a fire months earlier before I took this photo, and the entire landscape was burned to ashes. As far as your eye could see, there was nothing left. And this picture is taken just a few months later. For months, I would ride through that same area after the fire, and I would think how sad it is. Like everything was so beautiful here, and now it's gone. And I wondered what, what would happen what eventually would happen? And then eventually, this happened. Do you see it? It's the first sign of life. You know, the Apostle Paul once wrote that we have a hope stored up for us in heaven that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. The truth of the resurrection is that there is a hope stored up for us, for you and me. Faith and belief in the resurrection is necessary, but it isn't the end of the story. In fact, it isn't enough. Oh, it will save you. 
But that faith will also give you something that cannot be taken away. It is hope. And if you've lived on this planet for any length of time, you know that hope is a necessity. It's required for survival. It's like oxygen to our souls. And the resurrection gives us hope for eternity, but not just the sweet by and by. You see, there sometimes a world, maybe you'll agree with me here, um, seems like a vast plain of lifeless, scorched earth. Sometimes life doesn't seem fair. It can be unjust. People hurt. People leave. People that shouldn't get ahead, get ahead. Wicked, ugly things happen, and wicked, ugly people impose those wicked, ugly things on those that cannot stop them. And we have dreams. Dreams about how life will be that don't materialize. The picture doesn't come together like we thought it would come together. And it can cause despair or just us to be sick of it all. And it makes you either want to scorch back or simply disappear among the ashes. And it must have been that way for the two prequel stories that we looked at here for Joseph and the women at the tomb. It must have looked like the powers that be will do what they will do, and there's nothing that can be done. I mean, they did take the most beautiful human being who ever lived to ever walk in Palestine, and they executed him. He never lied, but they manufactured lies about him. He lived to help others, yet they treated him like a common criminal. And he loved with all his being, and they unleashed a fury of hate upon him. And if you were living that, it would be easy to give up. Just throw up your hands and say, what can I do? That's just the way it is. But they didn't. Why? Why didn't they just disappear into the backdrop of evil, injustice, and pain? Why didn't they just scorch the earth back? Instead, Joseph does the good and kind thing by giving up a space in his family tomb so that Jesus can have a proper burial. His body's dead. What does it matter on the human side what happens? The women do what they can do they see that just like every person deserves this tradition of caring for his body in this traditional way, they show up at the tomb in order to see that that happens. When it would be a lot easier just to walk away and just to conclude that the world is a place where bad things happen. So just give it up. Life can be hard. And it can make us hard. Or we can be this. We can be the first to spring back. To bring an act of hope in the season of grief.
for those who not only believe in the the resurrection, but also the truth of the resurrection. It means that we can overcome evil and and not be overcome by it. It means that we can shine the light in the darkness because the darkness cannot overcome it. Why? Because there is a hope stored up in us. That is the truth of the resurrection. There is hope in the world because of God's remarkable love and power. You know, Easter Sunday could be an entirely different story, couldn't it? The world on that day could have experienced God's vengeance. And the story we could be telling is that Jesus came back and he took some names and he broke some bones. Or could it just been the end of the story and Jesus died? I'm going to ask the band to come up now. And while they do, I want to remind you that everything in Christianity hinges on this event but not just the fact of it, the truth of it. And there is a difference. The most true thing, the truth of the resurrection is that he lives today and the light of that truth shines in our hearts. And it seems to shine brightest at the moment that life is the darkest. And the kingdom of God seems to grow in a situation where it seems like growth is not going to be possible in the midst of a scorched, lifeless, and hopeless earth. It's having hope and allowing that hope to burst through in small acts of kindness like providing a tomb or embalming a body or gathering spices I don't know what the landscape of your life looks like today on this Easter morning on 2022, in 2022. Life could be awesome for you. I look out and some of you guys look like life is really good. I'm glad. But some of us here today, it's like you're struggling. You're struggling in relationships, in some of the most important relationships that you have. Some of you, you're like midpoint in your career and it's, it's not turning out like you thought and like you're having all these doubts and wondering what the next step is for you. Some of you are like, you're, you're just lonely and you're wondering, is there ever going to be someone in my life? Some of you are like looking at what's happening in the world today and it looks like it's just a scorched earth where nothing is ever going to grow again with all the fighting and division in the world. The thing I want to remind you of today is the truth of the resurrection. And that truth is that 2,000 years ago, God's love overcame death. It still does. What if, what if God's people who believed in the fact of the resurrection also fully embraced the truth of the resurrection and we allowed God's hope 
and his love to burst through in the landscape that looks scorched, whether it's in my home or in relationships or in my place of work or in the world today, that we were the little green sign of life, that God is still on his throne and there's hope in the world because God's love cannot be overcome. Will you stand and let's worship with that thought and sing these words from our hearts. Thank you. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.